So I had a, a transformative experience, I would call it, at the fall retreat around uh, an experience of anger and deep looking into it. And so that was, it's been very alive with me for the past few months. So I've been working with that and I wanted to share that. So I picked the sixth mindfulness training as the topic that I would like to. So we're gonna start with number six rather than number one. And I will read that training called Taking Care of Anger. Aware that anger blocks communication and creates suffering, we are committed to taking care of the energy of anger when it arises and to recognizing and transforming the seeds of anger that lie deep in our consciousness. When anger manifests, we are determined not to do or say anything, but to practice mindful breathing or mindful walking to acknowledge embrace and look deeply into our anger. We know that the roots of anger are not outside of ourselves but, can, but can be found in our wrong perceptions and lack of understanding of the suffering in ourselves and others. By contemplating impermanence we will be able to look with the eyes of compassion at ourselves and at those we think are the cause of our anger and to recognize the preciousness of our relationships. We'll practice right diligence in order to nourish our capacity of understanding, love, joy, and inclusiveness, gradually transforming our anger, violence, and fear, and helping others do the same. So the phrases that I kind of want to focus on is... Um, the part about acknowledge, embrace, and look deeply into our anger and, and um, anger, how it manifests. Um, and there was also, I'm not sure if it was in this one, but maybe a previous uh, version of this mindfulness training about nourishing our capacity for joy. So in talking about anger, I'll talk about it a little bit in general from um, my experience. and. Um, I think that anger is a juicy but deceptive experience. And I say experience rather than emotion because anger is a physiological reaction and not necessarily, I mean, it, it could be called a feeling, I guess, but it's um, often confused as, as an emotion. And it's, it's a physiological experience. It's like Pain is a physiological experience and it draws your attention to something that's not right that needs attention. So say it might be a splinter that needs to be removed and the pain tells you, oh, that's where to look. It might be a headache and that tells you, oh, I might need to remove some stress in my life. It might be a runner who has a pain somewhere and makes them realize they need to slow down and let a part of their body heal in different, different kinds of ways that pain captures your attention and um, invites you to pay attention to it and try to relieve it. You might go to the doctor to have, uh, have it diagnosed and um, some assistance in relieving it. Anger um, 
is related to that in that it is it's it draws your attention it's an energy that draws your attention to something so if you have a splinter you don't hit it with a hammer uh, that would make matters worse so what you do is you stop you notice it you acknowledge it and then you gather the tools you need to work with it and then you steady yourself and you apply your skills as best you can to remove it, causing as little suffering as possible. <laughs> and the same could be said for anger. That when you experience anger, uh, it's telling you to stop, take a look, pay attention, and to draw in uh, your skills and steady yourself and draw in your own tools of communication, your skills, your experience, and then apply those in a way that can help relieve the suffering rather than making it worse. Um, and often I'm afraid it's the hammer that is what happens <laughs> when it comes to anger. Um, but anger can also be deceptive. It can be like a pain in the knee which you think you're, something's wrong with your knee when in fact your spine is out of alignment. And so you're looking busily at your knee and can't figure out why you can't fix it when you need to go to somebody to fix your spine and then your knee magically gets better. So uh, anger can manifest in lots of different ways. Um, over defensiveness, uh, you might be crabby at work when really it's something going on at home or something, you can be crabby at home when there's something going on at work. It can manifest not necessarily in the same place that um, you think that the anger is. Uh, stealing could be a sign of anger, and that, that can be a manifestation of it. And um, uh, depression and workaholic habits are other manifestations of anger sometimes. So, it's kind of hard sometimes to tell when it's there and how to approach it. But anger is an energy and it can be harnessed. So we have a vocabulary for anger and often we just go, I'm mad. And I'm a little mad or I'm really mad. So we have irritation, upset, and maybe rage as our words to describe the intensity of it. But what's most helpful is if you can find its true name by deep looking, you can sort out, is this uh, a feeling of, um, am I feeling ignored? Am I feeling uh, betrayed? Am I feeling uh, hurt? Am I feeling scared? You know, there's many, many names that manifest as anger. And if you can identify a, a more specific um, name for it, then you can figure out how to apply those tools to it. But what do I really need to do? If you just leave it at mad, it's, it's too general and kind of hard to work with. <clears throat> so how does anger manifest in me? Um, well, I am defiantly independent. I'm oppositional, uh, fiercely self-sufficient. Uh, I have this belief that 
If I don't let anybody in, I can't be hurt. And as a result of that lifelong belief, I've been hurt repeatedly, which reinforced my defiant independence. If it doesn't work, do it harder and make it work. Um, hasn't been real effective, but I have 70 plus years and have developed over that time a very vigorous defense system. I have um, armed walls, I mean armament, I have walls, but what I have found is the lonely, there's loneliness and there's suffering within those walls, and it's like the walls hold my suffering in rather than keeping it out. And so it's um, kind of a struggle there. As a little kid, probably preschool, maybe kindergarten or so, I used to hold my breath until I turned blue. Well, this alarmed my mother. <laughs> so it worked, you know. But I, she went to the doctor and the doctor said, well, let her hold her breath till she turns blue. When she passes out, she'll start breathing naturally. So fortunately, I abandoned that strategy. Um, but with a hypervigilant defense system, um, the way it manifests in me is, has manifested is uh, criticalness of myself or criticalness of others and judgment. Um, and um, it makes communication kind of difficult because um, I'm kind of blind to, I mean, I've got defense filters and things go through that defense filter. And so I'm, um, my reactivity is heightened. Um, and also as a result, another strategy that I developed over the years apparently is to numb myself. Rather than be explosively upset, I numb myself. But numbing also numbs out the ability to feel compassion. And so there's another problem there. So of course, in my 30s, I choose to study counseling. If you can't figure out your own feelings and what's going on, start working on figuring out other people's feelings. Um, so, but in the process of training as a counselor, I discovered that I had some issues and that it would be good for me to go to therapy. So I went to some counseling myself. And so between the therapy, um, I discovered that my defenses were developed to cope with confusion and the shame of some childhood trauma. Um, that I hadn't taken very seriously. And uh, it turned out it was a, had created post-traumatic stress that I hadn't realized. And through meditation, I became more and more aware and more comfortable with feelings and more able to um, identify with other people's feelings. So it was coming alive and being able to connect a little more. But I have to say that when um, I had this defensiveness and stuff, I didn't see it as anger. Um, and I didn't see it as hurt or anxiety or any of those. Uh, I was just right. I'm right. I'm mad and I'm right. 
I'm justified. And I have stories to prove it. <laughs> because that's what would happen is, you know, I'd get mad and here come this stream of stories that would come up like, and remember when that happened, and remember when they did that too. And, then, and so, you know, there's that uh, reinforcement there. So I've made progress, but um, I still have a pretty protective defensive system, and it persisted. So that begins the story from the fall retreat. Um, when we arrived at the retreat, and we set up for the first evening, um, it turns out that the teacher had invited a guest by the name of BK, who plays music, and she wanted him to accompany her at times during her Dharma talks. And so he sets up this keyboard in the front of the room and piano, and the beginning of her, before her talk, he starts singing this song about love, 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 love. And I was going, ugh. What is this? Who is this stranger coming in here and telling us what to do? Uh, I mean, I just had this really strong reaction. It felt syrupy, and, and, I, and I, was, I was upset with the retreat leaders for letting this person in and not warning us. And, you know, I just had this strange, very angry reaction. So the next, you know, well, what I did was, I left the room. I mean, I was that upset with it. And um, then when he finished singing his syrupy love song, I came back in, listened to the Dharma talk, and he starts playing again at the end. So I left again. So the next day, um, I go to my discussion group. And I'm, in the morning, he does this thing again for the Dharma talk. And I'm sitting there going, so I go to the discussion group, and they're saying everybody in the group is one after another going, oh, I just love the music. The music's wonderful. And blah, 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 blah. I'm going, ah, you know, what, what is this reaction about? Why am I having such a strong reaction and resistance to this music? It just seemed like a simple thing to be having such a strong reaction to. So I decided um, that I would try looking deeply at it um, because I didn't understand why I was having this reaction. It, was, it just seemed out of proportion. So the way I do deep looking is I sit with a pad of paper and a pencil and I sit to meditate and at the very beginning of the meditation I invite a question or I, I invite a topic and then I don't do anything else with it, but just sit there with that intention and see what arises. And my question was, what is this resistance about? And just totally looking at it with curiosity, uh, without any expectations, just gonna see, is anything gonna come up? What, what is this? And just open to whatever arose. And, um, what emerged was uh, this image. I mean, this is going to seem kind of strange, but I do tend to have, I, I work in images in my mind, and so this image comes up. Oh, I, there was one other thing I wanted to mention that's important here. 
Sometime in the afternoon, someone had said, uh, oh, the music is wonderful because it bypasses defenses. <laughs> and I went, oh, you know, it was like this light bulb that went, that's what, I wonder if that's what's, what, it, it just caught me, caught my attention that my defenses have been activated somehow, and that that's what then precipitated this idea of sitting and looking deeply at this resistance. And so what emerged was this image, and it's kind of comical, but it was amazing. I had this image of these walls and this big door, or this, I don't think it was a very big door, but very thick door, and this creature with all these arms standing plastered against the door, this back against the door, and, and shouting like, Gandalf, the wizard, with his staff, and he says to the Balrog, you shall not pass. And so here's this image of this defense system just guarding. I mean, oh, I, and I've never even stopped to look at what my defenses look like. So, I mean, it's kind of comical, but this is the image that came up for me. You never know when you're doing deep looking what's going to arise. And so this defense system was trying to prevent any light from coming into the cracks, and yet the singing bypasses defenses, so it was really working hard to make sure nothing's going to get through to my heart. And I just, instead of being, wow, what's, what are you doing that for? I didn't have any reaction like that at all. My reaction was to see how exhausted and yet absolutely determined this defense system was to act in my behalf and had the best of intentions and yet was just weary from 70 plus years of this and I'd never really seen it before but when I actually put the light on it it was like a deer in the headlights like ah, busted you've seen me ah but I'm working so hard for you. So it was, it was just this comical kind of experience, but very insightful to me. And what I felt was a rush of gratitude. I did not feel anything but gratitude and compassion for myself, for this um, defense system that has worked so tirelessly for me. And so um, I wondered, I thought, in fact, I had a little conversation with it, and if you can imagine that. I asked it if it might want to retire, and it indicated, yes, I would love to retire if only I could. So I, the next thing that arose as I'm sitting there, the next insight was, I have 70 plus years of life experience, I have training in communications and counseling and problem solving. I have um, mindfulness practice, years of mindfulness practice. So I have all of the skills and all of the, everything I need to handle hurts and problems and things that come up. I don't need a defense system anymore. 
And I just never realized that. And that, yeah, it could retire. And the funny thing or the amazing thing that happened was when I said, you know, I really don't need it. I, I'm okay. This defense system dissolved. It just dissolved. It was just the strangest experience. It just wasn't there anymore. And I just thought, okay, this is kind of the blush of retreat in about three days, and uh, the world comes back in on us, you know, and it's going to be back. But it's now been three months, and that hasn't happened. And so it's been (laughs) baffling, but... I'm thinking that that's what transformation must feel like. I wouldn't call it enlightenment, but maybe enlightenment. I feel lighter and I feel grounded. Another thing I thought was going to happen was that when this resistance went away, you know, like when you're pushing on something and then all of a sudden it gives way, you do a face plant. Well, I thought I would face plant. And that didn't happen either. It just dissolved. And I was still upright. And um, I didn't know what was going to happen at that point or how I was going, you know. Anyway, I I started experiencing things differently. And um, so one of the things, we had Bob Algier come out. We paid him to come and clean our windows, which hadn't been done in... I'm embarrassed to say years. And I could not believe the difference it made when you can see out your windows. It was like there was no glass there, there no barrier. And that's, it felt a little like that. The barriers were gone. And so I thought I would feel vulnerable and that I would feel kind of raw and exposed because I was used to having this defense. Um, but that didn't happen. I felt grounded and I felt light and I felt like more present with other people and um, at least that how, how, I don't know if it feels that way for other people but it feels that way for me when I'm interacting it's like I'm feeling things more directly um, not through the filters that I was experiencing I'm not as easily offended I'm not attached to things, but um, that doesn't mean I don't get angry. Anger hasn't gone away. It's still a pet, you know, that's still there. <laughs> um, but in the past, my anger was like embers that were always burning, and when some little offense would happen and I, I was hyper-reactive, re- it would be like... All these thoughts would come up that would shovel coal on it and the flames would come up and you know. Now it's more like a match that it bursts into flames, it glows, it catches my attention. Oh, gonna pay attention to something. And then it goes out once my attention's on it. And so it doesn't linger and I'm not getting all the stories and stuff with it. So that's one thing I've experienced. So it's clanker is kind of now like a, a stoplight, you know, red light, stop. Um, uh, look both ways, look carefully, look deeply, um, proceed with caution. <laughs> kind of like that. 
But it's, I'm not unflappable. I'm more grounded, but I am not unflappable because what I've discovered, instead of anger, I have anxiety. So apparently anxiety was underneath this all along, which I didn't know. And now as the anger mask is removed and the defense system is retired, I'm noticing um, that I am experiencing more anxiety. It's not anything crippling. It's not something that's, that's particularly difficult. Uh, I guess my relationship to it is, is different because I'm, I don't feel like a victim to it. Um, I know it's not life-threatening, but if I have something that disturbs me, like some responsibility, something I'm responsible for, and then I get like an email or I get something that's you know throws me off kilter, like, oh, there's a problem here, there's a problem here. What has happened is sometimes I'll wake up in the night and I will lay there and my head starts the loop and it will go through rehearsing what I could say, rehashing what I said, um, listing solutions, and coming up with ways to solve the problem. And so I can't get back to sleep. And I can, I have, it's not as alarming so much like it might have been, and like it has been in the past, but I can't stop it. I haven't figured out how to stop it. I can, I just observe it. Not so much a victim to it as just observing it. But I know that eventually I'm going to develop some skills, but now I can learn about anxiety. There's always something. (laughs) So um, in conclusion to this part, um, I wasn't looking for a change. Uh, I just was sitting with a focus Uh, Focusing on the resistance, I was watching what came up. I had no expectations of anything. And um, took some notes. When I, the next time I sat, whatever came up, I might take that as my topic and look at that and delve a little deeper. And um, then as a result of that, in this particular case, this transforming experience happened and what I've discovered is that when it something does transform or change or shift I called it more of a shift it's not a scary thing it's, it doesn't make me vulnerable it's like a snake shedding the skin and it's more flexible and strong I thought I would be more like a bird molting that's weak and can't fly, but it was more like strength and flexibility. Um, the other thing that was mentioned in this um, in this um, mindfulness training was nourishing joy, and that I think is pretty important. So I wanted to mention uh, Sherry Maple said, "Schedule joy." And so I found that it's, it's a hard habit to develop because there's always another task to be done. And there's always, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll go have some fun when this is done. 
but there's something else keeps getting added to the list. The NIST is never complete. So stop and schedule joy and just set it aside and do something to keep nourishing that. And when something like this happens and you have space arise, there's room for joy. The seeds are already there and can come up. And so that's something I wanted to comment on. So um, I don't really know who I am right now, but have I ever known? <laughs> when you really think about it. I'm more present. I'm engaging relationships in a different way. I don't want to analyze it. I am becoming, but then I always have been. And so I'm going to see how it all unfolds.